Hello, everybody. It's Tyler Willis. I'm one of the creators of Anti-Pessimist in this conversation series. It's a little bit of a weird conversation series. This is a podcast that is usually only published to members. Occasionally, we publish a public episode. However, the reason we do that is because we've been able to create a vetted community of people that we know are going to engage in good faith. And that means that we can attract guests to go into issues they might not normally feel comfortable talking about publicly. So we'll cover things from racial issues to gender issues to money, sex, and politics, all of the things that might be a little bit scary to talk about. If this is the first time you've ever heard one of these, I have to start with a directive. For the next hour or two, Turn off the cynical part of your brain. Turn off the negativity that is common in internet culture today. And instead, listen with an open mind and an open heart. You don't have to believe everything. You don't have to become a fervent cheerleader. You don't have to turn off your brain. But you do have to engage in good faith. If you can do that, then let's go ahead and get started with today's episode. Hey, everybody. It's Tyler Willis. Uh, So if you are listening to this, you're listening to one of the first episodes of Anti-Pessimist Radio, and you're probably already part of the community because it's uh, it's a private community that is not really publishing a lot of these publicly, although I suspect that this episode with Drew may be interesting enough that we, we share it out more broadly. Anti-Pessimist is a private group of people that, if you're listening to this, I hope are a lot like you. They believe earnestly in trying to do better things. They might be skeptics or realists or feverish optimists that believe everything is great. But regardless of how they approach the world, they all try to do better things in their lives and their communities. And they all believe that supporting people that are trying in good faith to do the same is a good thing to do. So on here, really, I'd say the main thing is we don't play the gotcha game. We don't dunk people. We kind of start with the assumption that people are trying to grapple with hard problems as best they can. And I'll ask you to do my guest today that mitzvah. I promise that holding that attitude more often is actually an even bigger gift to yourself and your community than it is to Drew and I today. But uh, if for no other reason than being nice to Drew and I, please, uh, please hold that attitude for the next hour or so. Today, I am joined by Drew Wilson. He's the head of payments at GoDaddy. Uh, more importantly, for the context of today's discussion, he's a father. He has three children, lives in San Diego. And today, we're going to talk a little bit about a topic that Drew and I got into uh, over Twitter this week, which is homeschooling and what the kind of growth is in that and what the change has been over the last few years and what his experience in that world has been like. So we'll talk a bit about being a father. We'll talk a bit about you know education for children. We will talk extraordinarily little about work and really instead about life. So with that, uh, Drew, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me on the show, Tyler. Super stoked to be talking about this. Awesome. Well, thank you for uh, for being one of the guinea pigs. Uh, Post Angelus Radio, I've decided to kind of restart podcasting, realizing how much I enjoyed it. And you are you are one of the early, early guinea pigs. You may be the second or third guest. So I appreciate it. Wow. That's cool. Thank you. <laughs> so before we dive in, maybe maybe give me just a super high level overview of what homeschooling means to you and kind of, you know, uh, what your journey has been with it and then what caught your, you know, what kind of got us talking about this early this week. Yeah. So I think maybe from my perspective, I, I have a lot of experience with homeschooling. I was homeschooled um, my whole life until high school. And so for me, I've been through it in maybe a different way than than homeschooling is today. I think homeschooling today is very different than it was when I was going through it. And for me, it, it it's really like if you have the fortunate ability to educate your kids and the desire to be the educator for your kids, uh, homeschooling is like a terrific way to do that. If you enjoy that sort of thing, homeschooling is a terrific way to do that. And to to also like even deepen like, the family bond that you might already have at home, 
I think home, homeschooling can go a long way uh, in even deepening that bond because you become your, your child's educator, right? Um, and that's a huge piece in their life. Um, so if you're also taking on that role, it'll just deepen your bond with your kids even more. So to me, that's like what homeschooling is all about. I know other people do it for other reasons, but for me, that's really the main reason is, is to kind of deepen that bond with my kids. Yeah. Cool. And you said that you were, you were homeschooled until high school. What changed in high school? Yeah. So I grew up in a small town, 1800 people, a place called Castle Rock, Washington. And there was like no stoplights in the town. There was no like big restaurants, nothing like that. Right. So small town. And we grew up on like five acres and had horses and, you know, the whole, the whole nine yards. And when my parents got divorced, when I was like, I was like 13, uh, we, uh, the kids and my mom, we moved to Vancouver, Washington, which is right across the river from Portland, Oregon. And that's a, a much bigger town. So when I went to high school, because my mom no longer wanted to homeschool, when I went to high school, the school I went to had 2,400 students, and the town I was from had 1,800 people. So <laughs> the school was even bigger than the town I was from. So it was a massive, massive culture shock. And that's kind of what I was alluding to before. I think homeschooling today can be very different than it was when I was growing up. When I was growing up, it was myself and my my brothers and my sister on this property. We didn't, there wasn't really a lot of interaction with other kids only because really the only outlets for that in a small town uh, were sports. And so we did a lot of sports, but today it's totally different. And so when I moved and, and when I went from that small town, not much interaction with other kids to suddenly high school and I'm in a, in a, in a, a pretty big high school and there's, there's kids all over the place. It was like a, a huge, a huge shock for me. I had literally no idea what to do. There's some funny stories there. I remember coming into uh, the classroom on my first day in my first class and walking into the room, kind of mentally freaking out, like, what do I do with my backpack? Like, where am I going to put this thing? Like, I don't see any like backpack holders. And this is high school, right? <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm freaking out. Like, where do I put my backpack? And all the kids start sitting down when the, you know, the door opens and they just start sliding their backpacks under their chair. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> sitting down in that chair, I remember feeling so weird because I'm, there's someone right in front of me and, you know, these desks are just butted up against each other. And I, I was thinking in my head, I'm like, I could just like reach out and like touch this person. They're that so close to me, right? Uh, there's all these funny little things you never think about if you're a career student <laughs> uh, that, that you don't really encounter when you're, when you're homeschooled. So, um, so that, yeah. that first day sounds like it was like, like, take, take me back to that first day. Like that sounds, you know, awkward fish out of water, right? What was that like? Oh yeah, I mean it was very awkward. I I remember before school started, my mom had uh, taken me on a tour around uh, the campus so I could get familiar with where my classes were. Uh, but like on that first day, you got this little card in your hand that says what room you're supposed to be in at what times for your classes. And I remember as I was navigating my way to the class, I'm this like really awkward uh, homeschool kid who barely knows anything about anything, uh, especially fashion. Right. <laughs> and so I think I'm dressed in all black or something. And, um, and there's these senior guys behind me just messing with me. Right. I'm a little freshman and they're saying, Hey kid, Hey kid, that kind of thing. Like, Hey, we should fight. You want to fight? You want to fight? That kind of thing. They were, had no intention. They were just, you know, goofing around. But at that moment I had no idea. Right. I had never been asked to fight. They never, I never even turned around to look at them. They never like tried to turn me around. Nothing violent, nothing like that. They were just 
mess around. But in my mind, this was like dead serious. I'm like, oh crap, like what's about to happen here? So I just kept walking to my class, like just adrenaline pumping through my veins, right? And so that was like kind of my first interaction with, <laughs> with uh, public school. Uh, and then the awkwardness of trying to get into that classroom, just like, you know, my first time being in a classroom really uh, in my entire life and just navigating those social norms that were not normal to me. And that was homeschooling in, you know, in the early 90s and going to school in the late 90s and, and being in a small town. That's, that's kind of what that produced, right? So that was kind of a... Yeah, I want to kind of... Today. I kind of want to talk about what the differences between today and, and you know, 30 years ago. But before we dive into that, I'm kind of curious on the, you know, the, the, the kind of comfort level between the two, right? So obviously if you're homeschooled as a kid, you know, you never, you never really know anything different, right? So there's no like adaptation where you get to comfort other than coming down the learning curve of, well, what does it mean to learn? What is school and all that? Right. Yeah. How long did it take you to get kind of comfortable in public school? Like when, when, when did the social norms go, okay, I got this. Yeah. So for me, it was, um, the reason I ended up getting comfortable is because I was a shy kid growing up and it wasn't until I was around other kids enough and was comfortable with myself that I realized that I'm actually an extrovert. Right. And I think, I think I wasn't an extrovert. And then I realized this extrovert thing is awesome. I want to be one. And I, and I ended up becoming one. And that wasn't like a conscious decision. It just kind of happened. So the reason I really got comfortable was um, I was a part of this church group, this youth group, and I was actually pretty heavily involved there. So I got to know a crew of kids um, and uh, ended up becoming like a leader there, even though I was just a student um, and was was pretty involved there. And so I think with that crew that I would see multiple times a week and us doing things outside of the church, you know, like hanging out or doing community things, stuff like that. I, I really had a lot of interaction and realized I really liked this interaction and ended up, it like ended up uh, for some reason, I don't know, it seems like maybe it shouldn't do this way, but it ended up really giving me a ton of confidence and realizing like, I'm good who I am, like, who cares? I'm just going to be me. And, and that's kind of what I've done ever since. And I've always been so comfortable with myself and who I am that after, like during that junior, senior year phase, when I kind of made that switch, um, from then on, like, like I was, I think an extrovert, I was good. I was never one to like follow peer pressure, even during that time. So I was also, yeah, I was also from the homeschool, homeschool stuff. I was also a good kid. So I kept out of all like the quote unquote bad stuff, right. Um, uh, pretty exclusively. And I think that like just keeping away from things that I felt like, oh no, that's bad. I shouldn't do that. Right. And, and having the strength to do that, like built confidence. I think my friends around me who like to hang out with me and I like to hang out with them, that built confidence, like everything just ended up giving me a lot of confidence. So around senior year, I was, I was totally good. I felt like I was on top of the world. And before that, it was a lot of getting used to what, what is this, you know, world? How do I navigate this social world the social hierarchy, you know, I, I didn't think in those terms in that day, right? But I just felt like I'm awkward. I know I'm awkward. I'm a homeschooler. Like, I know people think I'm weird, that kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. And so it took a little while to get over that. And in Washington State at that time, I think they still do the program, but they had a program called Running Start. And if you're in public school, uh, if you had a C average at high school by your uh, the end of your sophomore year, you could go to the community college or any community college for free 
and do your last two years of high school at community college and whatever you take at the college would count for your high school credits. And you also get your AA degree. So when I was 17, I was done with two years of high school, uh, my last two years of high school and then also two years of college. So I actually spent my last two years of high school, junior and senior year, not at high school, but at the college campus. Though I didn't end up spending a lot of time at the high school because I was in wrestling and other sports. So I think that also played a part in it, um, getting out of high school. So you were more comfortable. I mean, when you got to that point where you're feeling comfortable, you were actually on a college campus most of the time, well, community college campus. Yeah, I was on a community college campus during the day. But like when I, I was really, like I said, I was really involved with my youth group. So that was all high school students. Um, and then got sports, it. I was involved with, it was all high school students. Um, and that was, you know, some, for wrestling, that was every single day during wrestling season. Um, well, so I was still talk- there a little bit. And, and let's talk a little bit about, because I, I think that's the main difference I see between kind of homeschooling today and homeschooling, you know, of 30 years ago is the kind of knowledge and understanding of the importance of community and kind of how, how you create, you know, peer groups and, you know, other kid interactions. So yeah, based, uh, you homeschool your, your three children today, right? Correct. And so based on what you see different about their experience versus yours, what is today's homeschooling look like? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's homeschoolers that do what I did, you know, somewhere in the middle of nowhere. But I think from, so like my parents weren't homeschooled, right? So when they do this homeschool thing, they're like, I don't want my kids like being influenced by public school. We would like to educate them and we think that would be great. So let's homeschool them, right? They did not have any experience doing it themselves. I'm different, right? I have experience going through homeschooling. So when I decide to homeschool my kids, I know what that means. And I know what that can be uh, if I make, you know, this choice or that choice. So for me, homeschooling today is very different because that community, that hanging out with other friends was transformative for me and really prepares you for a lot uh, of life later on. And so that is 100% something that, that I want for my kids. And so homeschooling today doesn't, what, what it was for me back then was we had a room for homeschool in our house and we all had desks and we would do homeschool. We'd start around nine 30 and we'd have our subjects that we have to do for the day. And we'd do them. My mom would be in the same room at her desk, you know, grading papers and helping us when we needed it. Uh, and then doing lessons with us. And it, it was actually very flexible. Like if we wanted to do quote unquote PE, we'd go to PE for like four hours, right? We'd go just play outside basically in a forest or do whatever. And then, <laughs> and then we did, we'd uh, procrastinate on our math homework. And then the next day we'd have to do two lessons of math, right? So it's really flexible. But today for our kids, it, it, it's different. We uh, aren't at our house the whole time. Homeschool doesn't have to mean literally at your home. So we actually are part of a charter school, which if you're not familiar with charter schools, it costs uh, the government, at least around here, around 12 grand uh, a year to put a kid through a public school. So they have charter schools for parents who want to either self-educate or educate through through some private means, and you get uh, around two thousand uh, dollars a year for your kid. And you can't just go out and buy curriculum and buy this or whatever. You tell the charter what you want to buy, and they go buy it for you, right? So it's not like they're handing you money. Everything you buy has to be approved by them, it's, and it's just you have a wider re- array of of material to choose from. So. With the charter school, you can send your kid to charter school. We, we don't actually do that piece. We, there's, 
down here in Southern California, it's homeschooling is just, it's fantastic. Um, and I'm sure it is elsewhere too, but there are so many options. So there's, there's these private vendors that you can get. And if this is, it's not the same as a private school. Uh, these private vendors will meet in, in one building and it'll be set up somewhat like a school where there's different rooms with classrooms. They may not have all the, you know, not every classroom has like just a bunch of desks in it, right? It might be an open space because that's the dance room or whatever. But these private vendors that are companies that they do one thing. I am a dance teacher or I am a math teacher. I'm a science teacher. I'm a this, I'm a that. And they come to this building and they have it scheduled. So it's like school. So you can, you can pay to go take the science class. You can pay to take the math class. You can pay to take to this class or that class, you know? And so that's, that's what we do. And, and so there's a group of kids, a, a decent sized group of kids that do this. So our kids get to go hang out all day with those kids. Right. And you kind of set the hours. There's no, like, you have to take this, have to take that. It's just, I want my kid to take archery, chess, you know, this math, this parkour class, you know, you just, you choose the ones you want to take and they go there for those hours and that's it. So our kids do that uh, a few days a week. They also uh, are homeschooled at home two days a week as well. And then on top of the classes, they do their private vendors that same day. If they're only gone for, you know, four or five hours that day, they'll come home and, and finish up any work they need uh, as well. So it's really a mix. And, and what's great is these other families that do this too end up becoming close friends. And on the days that you're not at this, uh, this private vendor school, you know, we're hanging out at our house or they're hanging out at their house. You know, uh, you get a lot of social interaction. We go to Southern California is great. You go to the beach, go to the nature trails. There are so many things outside of these, uh, private things that are available for, you know, school age kids that have like little programs, like the, the nature, um, preserves around here. They all have state troopers and, and state parks people, that will like educate your kids and take them around and walk around the wildlife and see, you know, what this tree is, what that animal is, that kind of thing. So there's a ton of, a ton of cool stuff and um, it ends up being way more immersive. It's not like you come to one room every day and you learn from a book and one teacher every day. It's, it's way more immersive. You wait way more people and it's very cool. Very cool. Uh, there's a couple things I want to, a couple threads I want to pull on there. In your family, who does the kind of primary work of of you know, teaching or organizing or scheduling? Like, how do you how do you kind of share that load as a family? Yeah, that is all my wife. So she's awesome, and she was um, a teacher before we started having kids. She was a kindergarten teacher, then first grade, a second grade, um, and she's got her master's in education. Um, so for us, it's. Uh, it's a lot easier than I think it would be for most people only because she's got the experience teaching kids. And then she also has the knowledge on how to do it. Right. She has her master's in education. So she is the one that, that kind of takes on that load and does that, that stuff. There's certain things she doesn't like, like for instance, math, which I, I kind of like teaching math. So I'll, I'll help the kids with that. Um, like when they have extra homework or they need help with math. Um, when it comes to reading, when our kids were younger, learning how to read, they, they would read to me every night, that kind of thing. So it's, it's definitely my wife. And then I help out and she has some, she was homeschooled for one or two years of her life as well, but not as, not as much as me. So she's definitely been the, the driver behind everything in, in terms of like finding out what's down, uh, around here as, in terms of options for our kids. And, um, so, it's definitely been, you know, her effort uh, and uh, her kind of overseeing and, and running the show for sure. Got it. So it sounds like she kind of organizes and knows the, uh, you know, the science behind teaching and the experience behind teaching. Sounds like you've got more uh, of some specialized topics as well as maybe some more empathy for the experience given that you've been, yeah, you know, did it for 10 years kind of thing. Uh, is yep. that about and right? When it comes to like, 
Yeah, and when it, yep, exactly. And when it comes to like organizing time or like figuring out how we should lay out the house for the kids for homeschool, like um, she relies a lot of that on me for a lot of that only because of my experience having done it before. Um, Got it. So, yeah, it, it it's great because you know that's how it is now. But a couple of years ago, we spent an entire year driving around the U.S. in an RV, and and only only our son was really old enough to be in school at that time. He was kindergarten age at that time. Uh, he was five, but it was absolutely fantastic for him, you know, to see the world. Our daughters too, but they were younger. Um, so we can't wait to do that again uh, when they're a little older because it would be fantastic education to like U.S. history, except you're actually seeing the whole thing. So, you, you know, this cool. is, this is something, um, it's funny. You know, I have a, uh, kind of a, uh, let's call him a loose friend, I suppose. We're not super close friends, but he's starting to go through this point of, of going into homeschooling. Um, and actually as part of it, um, uh, he and his wife have both taken classes in education and his wife's gone actually pretty deep into it. Like I think down even to the point of getting, uh, I want to say the the teaching credential. And so I'm wondering, especially given your kind of wife's background in this, you know, how, how important is that? Like if, if people are just starting to think about homeschooling, what do they need to learn to become good teachers? Yeah. I think what's great about homeschooling these days and something we haven't even touched on yet is that there is so much content, right? There are so many really well-designed and crafted uh, course material that's available online, either by subscription or sometimes free with Khan Academy, that you there's actual curriculum where it'll be a teacher in a classroom speaking to students and also aware of people watching on, online. And so speaking to kids online back and forth, like, Hey kids in the classroom, do this. Hey kids, you know, watching do this. Right. And it's the most traditional classroom thing where kids are in a desk and you're watching a teacher. There's that full thing that you can get, sit your kid down, have them watch it, do the lessons as they talk. So you get that full experience of like being there with, you know, a teacher. Right. And so those are great. There's also ones where it's more like a um, reading rainbow style where it's like a studio kind of thing. And like they take you through education with a lot of like graphic material, like, you know, graphics on the screen and, and other video B-roll material, stuff like that. So it kind of runs the gamut. So if you're not like a, a, a teacher or you don't have the patience to do it, but you do want to homeschool your kids, you want to at least try it out. Um, there's so much material out there um, that will alleviate that kind of worry about am I doing it right? Am I smart enough to do this? Once you watch those things and you see what they go over and how it works and you give yourself a year with that, like you'll be pretty good, right? Uh, At the younger ages, it's not, um, if you start young, it's great because they're not going over hard stuff, right? (laughs) Sure. If you were to start when your kid's in high school, yeah, maybe you're going to feel a little out of sorts. Uh, But if you're starting when the kids are young, you'll kind of get the, the swing of it get into the swing of it pretty quickly. Um, but yes, I think a lot of the, uh, the negative stigma around, um, homeschooling is like, well, are you even a teacher? Are you even smart enough to educate your kid? Right. Uh, and that's kind of a silly argument when, from an education perspective, when your kids are really young, like kindergarten, first grade, right. If you were to actually look at what they go over, it's, it's not anything difficult, right. Pretty much anybody is capable of doing that from a from an intelligence perspective. When it gets a little more advanced, yeah, you wanna you wanna be able to know uh, how to teach your kids and not get frustrated. For example, you don't want to teach them frustration patterns, so you want to make sure you stay on top of that. There's there's a bunch of other things that go into it as it goes further along. But again, if you're starting young, 
and, and, and you're at kindergarten or first grade, by the time your kid is in fourth grade, you have four years to kind of like catch up on that and like learn those things as you go. Right. Well, I, um, I love, I love the thing you're saying about kind of like frustration patterns. Cause I think that's an example of something that is, it's hard to kind of self guide on, right? Like you either have to be very, very introspective and kind of think about, you know, what am I doing? And can I, can I zoom out of my own body and watch myself and, and then give myself feedback? Or you need kind of, you know, third party helping you on these things, right? Pointing out, hey, you got a little frustrated there. That might not be helpful or, or you know, that thing you're doing might actually might actually be, be bad, right? Um, or at least suboptimal. How do you get that kind of feedback? Like what, what provides that in, in your experience as kind of homeschool educators? Yeah, I think if your partner is around you during homeschool or if you're if you team up with another family and do homeschooling, you know, together in one spot, that will help. I think any time that you're by yourself with your kids, like if you think about if you spend all day with your kids, like there's, there's points where you're going to get frustrated, where it gets really loud, where people are fighting, and you're just like, ah, that is homeschool, right? Those are your kids with themselves. When your kids are with other kids, maybe they behave a little better, right? Maybe they're a little more susceptible to instruction because of the peer pressure environment, right? But when your kids buy themselves at the, at the house, they're going to behave the same way. You're not going to like say, I'm going to sit in my classroom. I'm going to put all these, you know, pictures on the wall for the kids, these whiteboards, all this kind of stuff. And now they're going to behave. Absolutely not. No, your kids are going to be your kids and they're going to see this as their house with a few more decorations put up. Right. Um, so it is important for you as, uh, the educator to think of it as education. Pretend that you are their teacher. And when you, you have to think of like, how would a teacher behave? A teacher's not going to lash out at the kid and be like, you know, like, hey, why do you keep doing that? You always do that to your sister. Stop doing that. You always do, you know, you know what I mean? A teacher wouldn't say that because they don't know what they always do to their sister. You know what I mean? Um, right. So you have to think of yourself as an educator and you cannot, absolutely cannot expect your kids to, to treat you as an educator. You have to think of yourself as an educator and have that mindset, but you cannot expect your kids to say like, oh, I'm sitting on this desk. That means my mom is in teacher mode. That means I'll respect her as teacher and not as I normally do as my mom. No, you can't expect that. If you start expecting your kids to suddenly know the difference and treat you differently because this is school, this is school time. So now you're going to behave differently. It's just, you're asking uh, for something that will never happen and cannot happen because you, your kids will not make that distinction. There's no extra peer pressure for them to suddenly change their attitude, right? So if you start expecting that from your kids and start, you know, getting frustrated because they're not behaving the way you think they should behave during school, uh, that is, that is a huge signal for you to say, all right, I got to change this environment, right? Either you got to change and suddenly morph into this person that never gets frustrated, which is going to be difficult, or you got to step outside the house and you got to partner with some other parents. We used to do this co-op homeschool. There was like seven other families and we'd all get together at this one, per this one family's house that had like this little farm kind of deal. Uh, and we would, we would do school there. We did that for a couple of years. And so it's families co-educating, right? One mom would do this, one mom would do that, one mom would do this, one would do that. Uh, and, it was, and it was great for the kids, right? When they were really little. And there are things like that that you need to say, like, if I'm going to homeschool my kids, like, it's got to be, it can't add a ton of stress. It's going to add stress, but it can't add so much stress that it ends up not being worth it, right? Um, so you got to take the steps proactively to make sure that it's not just going to destroy <laughs> your family relationships, that it's going to improve them, right? It's going to be stressful because you're taking on a job, right? It's, education is a huge job, huge task, difficult, yep. and requires a lot of sacrifice. So you can't expect it to be just easy. 
but mm-hmm. also you don't want to get it down the road where you just end up, you know, worsening the situation. So what is that worth it? So you said like, you know, it's gotta be, you know, it's not to be that you're not adding so much stress that it's not worth it anymore. It's going to take some stress. What is the worth it? Like, what are the, what are the positive impacts? Talk about, you know, increasing your bond, these kind of things. Like what are the positive impacts that come out of this that, that make it worth taking on that job? Yep. So I kind of see, if you were to think of private or public school, uh, where your kid goes to school, you drop them off and you pick them up and it's your kid is in the hands of other people all day, right? It's not, the kid is not your responsibility during the day, that kind of school, which is I think typical, right? Normal school. The benefits of that is a, you get to be free to pursue your career, right? And usually that's a necessity, right? You can't just take care of your kids and not make money, right? So that's a necessity. So that's what public school gets you. B, it gets your kids uh, involved with other kids and friends and be able to build that uh, the, the character and um, relationships that are super important. Uh, and then C, it gives them education, right? So if those are the benefits, uh, what are the drawbacks of public school? Well, there's, there's many, right? Um, and there's, there's many drawbacks of homeschooling, but it depends on how you go about it. So for me, the benefits of homeschooling and the reasons that we decide to do it versus sending our kids to public school is, is like I said, probably the biggest one is that family bond, that thing that I want. I, I didn't know anything different when I was homeschooled. I don't know if I liked it. I, I didn't like school at all. Even when I went to high school, when I was homeschooled, I just didn't like sitting down doing school. That's why I never went to college after those two years, I just don't like school. So I thought I didn't like homeschooling, but really I just, I just didn't like school. But what I did enjoy about it was how close I was to my parents um, because they were always around. And so I want to replicate that with my kids. So that's like a choice that I'm making. Uh, a lot of people don't have that ability, right? Because both parents work. So how do you do that, right? You can't. But if you're, in, if you're listening to this, likely you have the ability or a way to make that happen. Um, and so if you want that, like that itself is like a huge reason and reason enough to do it. These are your kids. Like some people have kids because their partner wants kids and that's why they have kids. They don't really care about having kids. Some people have kids because it's just, that's what you do. And they don't really think about it. They enjoy their kids and they have them because that's what you do. Some people have kids because they actually want those kids. Like they want to have kids. And that's, that's the bucket I fall in. Like, when I was younger, I always wanted to have a family. And so when I had these kids, I'm like, these are my kids. Like, I'm going to be the one to teach them how to do sports. I'm the one to educate them. Like, I look forward to that. Not that I don't want to dominate their lives or anything, but like, that sounds like fun to me. Like, that's what I want to do. And that's why I consciously wanted to have kids. Like, we wanted to have kids. So for me, it's the same kind of benefit as like, like, I want to hang out with my kid on their birthday, right? Because it's important to them. It's like, that same kind of thing is how I feel about educating kids. I want to educate my kids because I think I know a decent amount and it'd be cool if they could learn the things I learned, right? And, and if they could learn them in a fun way in the way that I learned them um, and, and, and I can improve upon that. So there's like, there's a lot of, like, I want to educate my kids. I want to hang out with my kids. I want them to see me, you know, at the house all day. Like, that, that's something I want. So that's like, that is a huge reason. The other, the other reasons are, you know, maybe a little more media centric where everyone knows about the reasons. Like there's a huge bullying problem at school. And if you don't, uh, if you're in the fortunate position to not have to send your kids to public school, and I understand some parents do, and absolutely I'm in favor of public schools, right? But 
if you have the ability not to put your kid in that environment, I'm going to choose that, right? And if I have the ability to give my kid one-on-one education, right, where they can learn and grow much quicker, this isn't like a myth. This is like, this is a fact, right? Kids grow and learn better when they have this one-on-one attention uh, in, in education terms, right? They learn better in social environments differently. But in terms of like knowing their stuff, if they have one-on-one attention, they learn better. So if I have the ability to give my kid that, I want to give my kid that, right? So yep. that's another reason is education. Homeschoolers are able to uh, excel in traditional like knowledge education uh, beyond someone who doesn't have that one-on-one attention. It's not the fault of quote-unquote public school. It's the fault of not having that one-on-one attention, right? So I think we talked about it before, but there's like this, this Star Wars mentality of like, if you're homeschooling, that means you're against public school. And I'm offended by that because I think public schools are great. Well, that's not the case. You can be for homeschooling and for public school. Like, <laughs> I, I'm glad that public school gets so many people needed, kids need education. I 100% support it. But I just want to homeschool my kids. And, yep. and unfortunately, it comes with like this huge negative uh, stigma, homeschooling oftentimes. Um, can we, uh, and, and uh, you know, feel free to de- demure on any of this, but can we kind of explore some of the things that are maybe, um, you know, the uncharitable interpretations, uh, you know, maybe the kind of questions that people have about societal fairness? Um, and I, there's two or three things I'd love to go through on that. And then I'd love to talk about the stigma. And so if I'm, yeah. if I'm asking any hard questions, you know, feel free to, uh, to push back or demure, but would it be all right to kind of run through some of the things that might be the, you know, the, the skeptical, yeah. uncharitable uh, interpretation of some of the things you've said? Yeah, for sure. Cool. So one one that comes to mind, and it's not something that we touched on directly. In fact, actually, I think there are three things that come to mind. So one is kind of the the how this interplays with kind of you know gender equality and issues. I think the other thing is kind of the the you know the the money and privilege, right? So um, as you've said, like not everyone has the ability to do this. So is this creating unfair disconnects there? And then I think the the kind of other part is maybe where it you know de- destabilizes like a societal system, which I think then gets into a lot of the more personal attacks and stigma. So maybe we can start with kind of the first one, which is, I mean, I have to assume that the vast majority of people playing the kind of primary educator and the, the lead of that in the family, um, you know, 70%, 80% of the time is, uh, uh, is the female partner. Is that accurate from what you've seen in your community or am I way off? No, that's totally accurate. I mean, it may be even higher. <laughs> to be frank, what are what are kind of the you know what are, what are like the how do you navigate those issues and and you know what what is that you know what what's the kind of implication of this of this being you know thought of as predominantly gendered work uh, both from the outside and in. I don't want to say that's like uh, oh society expects. Um, it also may be uh, more personal desire driven and such. So, how do you kind of navigate that as a as as a person, as a family, as a community, as the people that you kind of homeschool with? Yeah, how, how do you all kind of think about that kind of gender issue of this predominantly being uh, a woman who's doing the work? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, I mean, there's a lot of things to unpack there, right? A, I don't think that because the world is the way it is that I have to change what I want to do for my kids, what I think is in the best interest of my kids. I think you can do both, right? You can, you can try to correct some of these wrongs, but at the same time, continue on with your life in the way that you think that it it would be best. Right. So it is, I think it, 
is sort of unfair to women. I think it's very unfair to women that they, you know, they're perceived still because of, you know, how young this country is and where it came from. They're perceived still as like, hey, you're the caretaker of the children. And uh, if you want to get a career, all right, fine. But then you're leaving your kids behind. Who's going to watch your kids, right? Uh, and just, you know, move to another place that's cheaper and, and let your husband, you know, be the breadwinner and you stay home with the kids or educate, you know, in the case of homeschooling, there's this, <laughs> depending on how conservative an area you live in, and I grew up in a very conservative area, um, you know, it's, it's frowned upon for women to work. And if you are not homeschooling your kids, like what's wrong with you, right? You know, you can't send those evil public schools, right? You know, that, that's the environment I grew up in. And that's super unfair, I think. And, but I don't think it gets solved at the, at the homeschool level. I think that is a uh, outcome of a larger problem, right? And I think the problem gets solved uh, in the workplace. I think the problem gets solved, you know, in the, in the pay gap. I think the problem gets solved in the social stigma with uh, women having power over men, that sort of thing. Like all that stuff needs to get solved. Um, and on the, on the flip side, it is weird if I were to be, you know, as a dad, as a male, if I were to be involved with the kids as their teacher, uh, and everyone else is women, um, there is this very big uncomfort level of, uh, women being with, uh, this guy. And, you know, what, why is this guy you know, educating the kids. Why isn't the mom educating the kids? It's kind of weird. I don't want to put all my kids in the classroom with the guy, like, cause you know, it is true that, uh, that usually when, you know, bad things happen to kids, it's these, it's these guys and they could be priests or whatever. Right. But it's always these guys. And so there's this like uncomfort level. It's like, these are my babies. I'm already in the mindset of like, I want to do what's best for these kids and be so incredibly involved and, uh, and so if I'm going to put them in a classroom with a guy, it's like weird, right? I think where I'm at down here, uh, in Southern California, everything's, you know, way better. <laughs> like people are way more open to things. Uh, but in other places like where I was from, like it's not that way. So it goes both ways, but, um, obviously I think it's far worse for women like the, because there's just so much more, uh, it, it comes from so much higher all and just filters all the way down the chain. So I think it needs to be solved at a higher level. Uh, and, and I don't think it should stop anybody from wanting to, you know, homeschool their kids. Uh, it's a, oh. it's a bigger problem than that. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And, and when, you know, when I think about you, I, I, I suspect, um, that you're, a fairly active father, right? You talk about like, oh, I wanted kids. I always wanted a family. I'm super excited about it. Like you sound quite involved. I mean, in, in, uh, the kind of, you know, looking around at the the community that you're in, like, are you more active than most fathers, less active, like, and not to cast dispersion on anyone. I'm just wondering where you fit into that dynamic. Yeah, I, I would say I'm definitely more active than most fathers. And, and for me, it's, I always have to check myself because I'm really, really, involve my kids and I, and I like that and I want that. I wish I was even more involved than I am right now. But um, I have to check myself because that's how I feel. That's not how everyone else feels. And you don't have to feel that way. You don't have to like, well, I'm a dad now, so I have to be this super dad or I'm a mom now, so I have to be this super mom. Like right. 
I don't think people should have kids if they don't want kids. That's just a miserable situation for them and even more miserable for the kids, right? You're just ruining lives. So if you don't want kids, don't have kids. It's going to ruin everyone's life. But um, if you do at least want kids, uh, but it's not your desire to be this ultra involved with everything they do, I think that's fine. There should be no uh, judgment or anything on that. I don't think that is less good, right? Uh, There's generations of kids who grew up without, you know, active parents. I think it's only recently that things have gotten, you know, this quote unquote weird where parents are like super involved with their kids. Um, it wasn't that way growing up, you know? Um, so it's, I don't know. Yeah. I think I'm maybe more active, but at the same time, I don't, I I'm conscious that that is, you know, my choice, my personal choice. Well, and there's, there's actually, there's, there's kind of good outcome data on um, kids that grow up in communities that place less importance on like time with parents and, and things along those mm-hmm. lines. You know, some, some folks would take either side of this, right? Like, ah, see, the data proves that you don't need to be active uh, or that it's better if you're not. And then there's yeah. certainly the, but I mean, that's, that's data, right? Like, yeah. Wh- it, what's the ultimate outcome to create like this super genius or right. have like fun with your kid? You know what right. I mean? It's like, right. Well, and I, I think the, the point the point I'm trying to get there is I actually think the data probably indicates that there's a lot of different paths up the mountain, right? Like you can have yeah. great kids, whether you're super, super dad, super mom, or you can have great kids uh, as, you know, uh, you know, two career family. It's really just being thoughtful and 100%. intentional about how to, how to do what yes. you do well. Yeah. I'm curious. So you, you've mentioned this kind of like, so we talked about stigma, which I think actually there's a ton of interesting stuff in stigma in general about homeschooling, uh, and we can we can share, swap some fun stories about that. But the uh, uh, you've also mentioned this kind of subset of it, which is there's also some judgment that comes back to you as like an active father, um, and certainly it sounds like you know you've seen or can imagine this being you know even more pronounced in in you know uh, less open open minded areas. I'm curious, what is it? You know, what are what are the types of things that you experience as as an active father where where you're starting to see ah this is a little weird or people are a little uncomfortable about this or weird about me being here what what are those experiences like yeah um i mean luckily for me there hasn't been that many and um that's one of like the privileges you have of being like a a male who's successful and all that kind of jazz like people don't really feel that way about me that often um, but there are times when we're together as a family where it could be weird. Like, for example, I wasn't here in this case, but my there is a big ne- negative stigma against homeschooling, and even even down here in Southern California, uh, maybe more so than other places. It's weird because it's got like these super positive vibes, but then it also has these super negative vibes. Where uh, my wife was at the park with the kids, and um, and this is why she doesn't go to parks anymore during school hours because there was some woman who came up to her and said, uh, why aren't your kids in school? And, you know, so what does my wife say? She was like, oh, well, you know, they're, they're homeschooled. And so this lady proceeded to tell her why that's wrong and bad. And, um, that she was, you know, a public school teacher for 40 years and, and, uh, kids shouldn't be, you know, left to their own to figure things out at home and all this kind of stuff. And, and then she, wouldn't like leave my wife alone. And, and my wife's friend came up with her kids and like, Oh, what's going on? You know, like just trying to see what they were talking about and then realized, you know, this lady realizes my wife's friend was also homeschooling her kids. And then, so she went and got a few other people around the park being like, these, these women, like they're not sending their kids to school, blah, blah, blah. And, like making this huge deal of it. Right. So my wife like left the park, like totally scarred her for life. Right. Um, like afraid to like take our kids out somewhere because, you know, there's this very real threat of like someone, 
calling the CPS on you or something, right? Because they think somehow you're damaging your children, right? <laughs> but if they only knew, you know what I mean? Like our kids are, that's what they were doing. They were hanging out with other kids at the park. Uh, <laughs> that's incredibly normal. And it's weird how um, society has, has gotten to that point where people are, you know, very in favor of education and rightly so, but they kind of construe that and tie that together with the institution of public school. And they can't separate the two in their minds that education and community doesn't equal public school, right? And, um, and, and public school started as like, just like a, a means to an end, right? The pioneers came, they started moving west, and uh, they made these little schoolhouses, right? Because that's what they were doing on the east, out in the east. And there wasn't enough you know, money or material. So they would shove all these kids in the same room, you know, no matter what age you were, what grade you were, there was no like set grades. It's just like you're learning this stuff. You could be 18 and learning the same thing a kindergartner's learning, right? And the teacher just goes year after year and she teaches different kids slightly different things. And then that kind of expands as these cities get bigger and bigger, the schoolhouses get bigger and bigger. They start to separate kids slightly here and there based on age. And, and now we have what we have, right? Um, and it's never been rethought from scratch. And I don't, I'm not suggesting we rethink re it from scratch or anything, but I'm just saying let's call it for what it is, right? It's not the, it's not the greatest invention of mankind. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not the only way to do it. And it's not a negative thing if, if a, if a, if a, a well-intentioned and well-educated person decides, to, you know, to school their kids themselves, right? And people aren't willing to take that time. And so they hear homeschooling, they think, you know, people that are sheltering their kids from the world, people that are like teaching their kids weird things or locking them in basements, you know, stuff like that. And, and that's like a real deal. Yeah. <laughs> so, cause yeah. sometimes that happens and it's horrible. There's, so, a, yeah. there's a great, um, there's a great section, uh, in a, a book that I enjoy. That's somewhat controversial, which is the vanishing American adult by Ben Sass, um, where he talks about kind of the, the, uh, the, the path of schooling and how we got to the public school we have today and the system there. Um, and yeah, definitely there's, you know, if you're, if you are an optimist here, you should always believe there's room for improvement. And that sometimes means experimenting with things. And I kind of want to get into that a little bit. So, um, maybe we can come back to the, the kind of, you know, the stigma and the fairness question, because I think there's fascinating stuff to uncover there. Um, but I'm curious, you know, you, you mentioned earlier, you know, doing these kind of, uh, you know, groups and co-ops, having, having communities of people that are doing homeschooling, there being just a universe of vendors that you can use. Maybe walk me through kind of what you and your wife have chosen for, uh, for your children. And like, if I, you know, if I had two kids and, uh, you know, three and one, and I was trying to consider, well, what can I do here and what could this look like and how might that compare to, you know, public school? You know, what, what would you kind of point me in the direction towards and how would you help me design you know, a curriculum that at least as a base level might be a good setup for me? What are the things that are important? Yeah. I mean, I think if, I think if you're starting out, I would suggest not going it alone. It's being like, I'm going to download some Khan Academy stuff and, and here we are homeschooling. I would not suggest that. If you were to just do a few Google searches, you'll find um, pretty quickly that there are homeschooling conventions where you can go listen to speakers, you can go listen to educators, you can look at curriculum, and these things are pretty large. And you can walk around to different booths to look at curriculum, like they'll give you samples. I mean, think of it like going to a tech convention or a CES, but for uh, homeschooling. You can get a lot of ed education, meet a lot of cool people that way. Uh, if you are in your community, you know, doing Facebook search or, or whatever search for 
uh, homeschoolers is a, is a great first place to start. Um, what you want to find is you want to find someone you trust, maybe that's done it before or that is currently doing it, that you can kind of get some guidance from. And if you're able to form a group, and you know, you got to do this well before the school year starts, but if you're able to form a group of people that want to start this and do some homeschooling together, find a location, do it together, find get someone in your group who's done it before who can kind of like organize it or someone who's a former teacher, that kind of thing, if you, if you have access to that. And just you'll learn pretty quickly how to kind of organize these things just from reading materials online or from getting help from people near you. But I would highly suggest that like as like a first step. First step is, you know, get educated and find other people that have done it before to guide me through this process. Um, and then and then kind of sit down and figure out for yourself, why are you homeschooling, right? Uh, is it because you want to have more time with your kids? Is it because your kid's getting bullied at school? Is it because you, you'd, you'd rather see your kid accelerate through the, you know, the school leveling faster? Uh, you know, would you, is it you want to teach them this certain style of, of teaching? You know, whatever it is, figure out like why, why you want to do it and then organize everything around that, right? Um, organize the the curriculum you're going to use around that, you know, find a curriculum that, you know, has that same mentality as you. Because that's a good thing about curriculums is you can find some that are like Montessori where they're super into like being outdoors all time, no indoors whatsoever. And there's some that are like, let's do like really traditional school where everything's indoors and it's just all, you know, textbook based. And, and it runs the gamut uh, in terms of philosophy and, and actual curriculum. And so find one that you, you know, you agree with that you want to, that you think would be great to teach your kids with, but don't marry it, right? Because you can find out for the, you do it for a year and you're like, actually, I don't like this thing at all. It's not working for my kids. Uh, and then try another one, right? Um, and you can kind of swap things in and out during the year too, uh, to see what, you know, what your kids like. Because ultimately it's about, if it's about educating your kids, you know, some aspect of it's going to be about educating your kids. You want it there to be some real tangible benefit for your kids. So you want to make sure that you're teaching your kids in a way that they like to learn. And the great thing about homeschool is there's so many variations on a single curriculum that you'll definitely find that pretty easily. And that's one of the big benefits over uh, a public or a private school where there's one way to learn with maybe some, you know, additional assistance from a teacher as much as they can possibly spend. Because, you know, they're in a game where they're given, they're given a bunch of kids and they're saying, make do with this and try to educate them best you can. So they're doing a fantastic job and no knock on them whatsoever. They're given a massively hard task. I would never in my life try to take on educating 40 individuals with one curriculum set and try to spread one-on-one -on -one time with them. That would be a, a very difficult task. But if you're going to do this with just a couple kids, then you've got the time and the opportunity to uh tailor that education to your kids. So that'll come later. That, that part, you don't really have to worry about finding the perfect curriculum right up front because uh, you'll figure that out with your kids as, as they grow. Sounds like it's uh, very then, experimental. Yes. Yes. In the beginning it is. But once you get to know your kids, you'll know what they like. You'll be, when the next year comes in, they're going to fifth grade. You're like, ah, he's not going to like that. He's going to like this. He's not going to like that. This will work for him as well. And you got it and you'll be down pat real quick. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting your point about these kind of, um, you know, trying to educate 40 kids with one curriculum. There's also obviously the exogenous pressure of, uh, and they have to perform well in the next grade or they have to do well in this test, especially as you get yeah. into, into later stages. There's actually a really good study I read maybe a month or two ago that said, um, that kind of proved that uh, kids that that 
rated their teachers highly also tended to kind of correlate to people who who led to re- really good immediate performance. Like I did well in this grade, I did well in this test, um, and it spoke very very strongly to kind of our ability to you know internalize you know fast feedback cycles, right? But mm-hmm. actually, the teachers that 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 were most correlated with kind of long term success. I want to say this might even been in like range uh, or some podcast I was listening to with the author of range, but the teachers who kind of correlated to long-term success tended to actually kind of anti-correlate to short-term returns, right? They were, they were teaching them how to think, not how to perform on this test. Um, so also mm-hmm. just a bunch mm-hmm. of you know, things to unpack here about, you know, as you're experimenting with your kid, you know, what are you setting them up to do? Are you setting them up for, you know, a week from now or for a lifetime? Yep. Yep. And I think, I think another thing that's somewhat experimental, but you do need to sit down and think about it beforehand is you, right? How am I going to ready myself to be an educator? Uh, Because you really do have to try so hard to make sure that you're not just, you know, if you're a goofy dad or a goofy mom, you're not your goofy mom, goofy dad self, right? Because you want, there is, you need to, teach them focus time, right? That's part of schooling. That's part of life after school is focus time. So it's a good opportunity to teach your kids focus time, right? When, when do you ever get an opportunity if you're just hanging out with a kid all day to be like, all right, let's focus on something like other than video games. I mean, what are you going to focus on, right? So it's a good opportunity to have focus time, right? And so you've got to kind of think of it that way. Um, and then as I mentioned, like you've got to experiment with it because you're not going to be super stressed out on day one, you'll be so much stressed out if, if you put a lot on your shoulders, like I got to get this room looking perfect. Right. And there's like all this stress about <laughs> setting everything up. Right. Uh, and picking the right curriculums. But once day one starts, it's kind of a, it's a super fun thing. Right. And it is for a little while, but then, then it becomes like this normal thing. And you've got to figure out for yourself, like, how do I not burn out? Because if you were to burn out at, at your job, you know, that's, that's a bad thing, but it's, it affects you mostly, right? Uh, it'll affect your family if you're like depressed and stuff coming home. But if you burn out like on education, it really affects your kids because you're not going to even want to teach them anything that day, right? Um, so you got to make sure that uh, you don't burn out. And it sounds crazy and hard and all this kind of thing, but it could be as simple as I mentioned before as, as taking a lot of the weight off your shoulders, right? Don't homeschool at home every single day. Get involved with a charter school. Send them to actual charter school where it's somewhat like a public school where you just drop them off and they're there for however many classes you sign them up for. Get with a group of people to spread the load across, you know, multiple uh, moms or dads. And if you do that and you, and you, if you realize that this is way too stressful and you move down to only two days or one day or no days a week of it just being you with the kids, um, do whatever you need, but always keep in mind that, you know, this has to be a benefit to your kids, right? And into the into the family as a whole. It, if this is just way too much for you, then it may not be the thing for you, right? Yeah, it, it almost seems to me like like as you're talking about this in my mind, I'm kind of changing the idea of, you know, being a teacher into being almost like an education advocate, right? Like you're you're kind of mm-hmm. trying to figure out, okay, what are all the things that might be helpful here? And some of them might be me delivering them, but some of them might be the charter school. It might be a community group. It might be a play date, like, like trying to figure out kind of what yep. these different the, like structures are. It's almost that you're trying to like be a curriculum designer as an advocate for your children rather than yeah, uh, I think- okay, I'm becoming a, a teacher. 
Yeah, I think I think instead of thinking of yourself, if you were to think of it in tech terms, right? Because I'm sure most people listen to this are in that space. Instead of thinking of yourself as a middle manager, right, a director, a senior manager, or something, think of yourself as the CEO of your kid's education, right? That could mean you're a small startup, you just started, and you're wearing all the hats, right? Or it could mean you've grown in that, and um, you've got a number of kids, or they've been homeschooling for a while, and now it's like, all right, now I'm going to bring in these other people to handle these other spots. And um, so if you think of yourself as that, as like the CEO of your kid's education, not necessarily the, the, the one doing it all, I think it'll take a lot of stress off of you because you're just what ultimately what you want to do. That's why I say you got to figure out what are your goals, right? If you want your kid to get a better education than a public school, and I, even as horrible as this may sound, it is very possible and not very difficult to get a better education than the U.S. public schools. And again, this is not a knock on the teachers. This is way out of their hands. Uh, but it is absolutely and fairly easy to get a better education than the kids' public schools. So if that's one of your goals, uh, make sure that you're you're doing that, right? It's just like a start. You're going to have these goals. If it is to spend a lot of time with the kids at home, make sure that when you do that, you're not going to get burned out. Uh, if it's just purely about education and you don't have a lot of time to spend with your kids, then figure out the spots where you'll be sending them each day. Make sure you have enough time to get them to and from those places. Uh, make sure that you're involved enough to know that is this working out for my kid, right? Because that's the whole purpose of taking them out of public schools to improve things, right? right. So make sure you have some way to like check in. So you know, yeah, I think you don't have to think of yourself as the educator itself. You know, you, you mentioned um, this kind of concept of burnout a couple times, and it's fascinating to me because you know when I'm like obviously I'm kind of you know really all in, 100% hard work. I work crazy hours, all these things, but that means that sometimes I feel burnout. And when I feel that, that's like, I've got an early warning system now in my thirties of like, ah, oh, I'm like, I'm, 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 you know, quicker to anger or, you know, I'm, uh, I'm not like super mm-hmm. stoked to answer this email today. And that's like, a, that's a huge signal for me of like, ah, I need to take a couple of days off. I'm gonna take the weekend and I'm gonna go sit in a cabin somewhere and, and, uh, and be alone. Right. Not work. Like when you have that acute feeling of burnout as a, as a parent, as a teacher, like you can't really just disappear, right? <laughs> Talk about CPS. That's where CPS really right. will get killed. So what is the, uh, you know, like what are the kind of strategies or solutions to dealing with like acute burnout when you're in this environment and you go, oh gosh, I signed up for too much. Yep. Yep. I think honestly, there's no easy way out of it. Um, it's not, it's not like work where you can take time off. Uh, you know, not everyone can take time off of work. Some people are in a fortunate position where, you know, they have to go to work no matter how burned they burned out they are. Sure. But it is more difficult. Like I mentioned before, it affects more things than your own personal burnout uh, with work. The burnout with like education actually affects your kids' ex- education, uh, not just their psyche, but their actual learning. I think if you if you notice that you're burning out, you just have to act on it. You have to right then and there say, "All right, this is not working." I need to figure out some way where I can have more free time or have more time to myself or whatever that means. Uh, and, and that, but I still want to homeschool my kids. So let's figure out some place uh, that is, you know, near me, that's got some cool education going on that I could send my kids to, you know, a couple of days a week or something to, to give you that. Yeah. Th- this suggests to me that maybe the right, the right strategy is to kind of wade in a little bit, right? So rather than I'm going to try to do it all out of the bat, and be perfect at it and then bite back. Maybe you need to be really careful about what you mm-hmm. sign up for that are long-term commitments. Cause yeah, I assume with these charter schools, it's not, 
okay, we're, uh, you know, we're in science this day and we're out this next day, right? Like there's still some level of planning and commitment. So it seems like being guarded oh, yes, with yes. time is, uh, is, you know, is maybe the right, the prudent strategy for someone doing this for the first time. Yeah. I wouldn't suggest just like saying we're going to homeschool our kids and we're going to be at home every single day. And that's, that's how it'll be for the first year. I wouldn't suggest that. I would definitely step it. And I, w- like I mentioned before, I would get involved with other people to kind of spread the load or find other places you you can send your kids. And again, this doesn't have to be an expensive thing. It could be totally free. Uh, If you live in a state where they have charter schools, which are absolutely fantastic, uh, great alternatives to public school if you you want to have an alternative uh, that's completely paid for, right? And I think people's, there's a a bill trying to be passed in California to get rid of charter schools right now, which is crazy to me. And so sad because I think it just gets played up as, you know, all these kids are just getting money to spend on whatever they want and they're doing not real education, blah, blah, blah. Well, that's not how it works at all. The way it actually works is if you want to get these curriculums, you email your charter representative and then they go buy them if they are on the approved list. Like you don't get the money. <laughs> that's what people don't understand. So it's a fantastic hope. Well, and this is, I mean, charter schools are, yeah, char- charter schools are like, you know, a very controversial issue, right? Every every election cycle, local, state, and federal, you've got charter schools like aggressively being debated, right? And I think there's a lot of there's a lot of you know free rider type stigma, like what you're talking about. There's also a kind of a societal fairness stigma, right? Of like, oh well, you know, these are folks who are usually it's one of two categories. Usually it's you know these are folks who you know uh, believe in lunacy and want to educate their kids you know in a way that you know shields them from truth right mm-hmm. or it's uh these are you know a bunch of rich families or families that are that are you know that are well off in some way that are basically taking their contributions out of the system and making the system wor- worse at the at the expense of, uh, you know, the expense of the rest of the kids in the community. And I think anyone listening to this for an hour is going to look at this and say, all right, well, you care about your children. You're not trying to teach them that uh, aliens created the world in one day and uh, anointed me as cult leader God, right? So I don't think anyone here is going to have that that worry. And certainly there is a real fear there. There are a lot of people that get very up in arms about you know, religious-based education, for example. But I'm maybe I'm more kind of curious about the kind of the fairness argument of, you know, are you somehow kind of depriving other kids in the community who, you know, come from families that maybe aren't as well off by by pulling kind of your efforts and your work, you know, out of, out of the collective and into uh, a smaller nuclear unit? I wonder how you think about that. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, it's, it, it is a point to be made. I don't, like... So the way that it works is with charter schools, I mean, at least in California, that's the only charter school system I'm familiar with. Uh, I haven't done it anywhere else. You can't buy religious education. You can't buy things that aren't approved by the state. And the state does not approve any religious education whatsoever. So if you were to use charter school funds, you can't get any religious education stuff. So if someone's making that point, I could, I could see maybe like, oh, well, you're homeschooling your kid, you're using the charter funds to buy the normal stuff, and then you're using your own money to buy the religious education stuff. Well, if that was the case, they would just do that outside of school anyways, right? Right. Essentially what you're saying is on your own dime, you're doing what you want. (laughs) So whether you got got funded by sending your kid to school, because remember, people are being funded to send their kids to school. Like when you do charter school, no one puts money in your pocket, right? When you do public school, no one puts money in your pocket. But the public schools pay 
uh, kids who go to public school get paid much more than the kids that go to charter school. It's much more expensive for public school kids than it is for charter school kids on the government's dime, right? So in terms of like how much money you're getting one spot or another, I think kids who go to public school, they are getting more money, right? They're using more tax dollars. And I don't think that uh, it should, I think the fairness argument is more about like, well, charter schools must be better. That's why these wealthier people are sending to them. The reason the wealthy people are sending to them maybe is because they're wealthy enough to have the time to take their kids at this time or the other, right? Because if you're doing charter school at the charter school, it's like sending your kid to public school. You go there in the morning and you pick them up in the afternoon. It's not much different than public school. Charter school is different in that you can send them to just part of it during the day, none of it during this day. You kind of have the choice of what you send them to. And so on the fairness side, I think they think that the education might be better. Well, these teachers at charter schools uh, go through the same uh, level of education that teachers at public schools go to. So like on the fairness argument, we have the same caliber of teachers. Uh, We have the same hours of school attendance. And we have the same facilities, essentially. The charter school facilities can be not even as nice as a public school facility. So if you were to break it down and say, what is, what is the difference here? What is the actual fairness difference here? I think it's really about the parents. The parents are the ones who have more time. The kid at the school is spending likely the same amount or probably even less time at the school uh, at a charter school than they are at a public school. But really what it is, is it's the parents have this financial freedom uh, to to take their kids to school this time of the day that's best for them at that time of the day, really. So I think when it comes to fairness, it's not so much about what kids are getting in education at charter versus public. It's more about the parents having the ability to send them when they want, right? And send them to what they want to send them to. Because the the charter school system is, is a publicly run thing, and it's in all regards is extraordinarily similar to an actual public school. I mean, there are some public schools here in, in Southern California that are incredibly nice. Mm-hmm. If you see some of these campuses, you're like, way nicer than even the, the, the uh, community college I went to. I mean, incredible. And, and, that, and that's all free. The kids go there for free. Like these, these facilities with like these, these science labs and these computer labs that, I, that I've seen at high schools here, I'm like, holy cow. Like these kids have access to everything, right? You do not absolutely do not get that at a charter school, not in any way, shape, or form. So the fairness argument, I think, is is something that can be seen on the outside as, as it's easy to argue about. But when you actually go through it, like it's very different than what it appears on the outside. Um, so that's my take on the fairness argument. In terms of the community, like I think maybe the, the another piece of the fairness argument could be, well, if you are able to educate your kids in the way you want, and accelerate their education by putting them in classes that accelerate their style of learning versus the rest of us who just have to put our kids in whatever they get is whatever they get. I think that that is a true fairness argument, right? Because your kids are able to accelerate. We're able to teach them in the way that they best learn. I think that's real. But if any one of those people had the opportunity to do that for their kid, I'm sure they would, right? So, I mean, is one kid getting a fair treatment compared to the other? No, one kid is probably getting better education than the other. And that's, I guess if you put those two together, maybe it's not fair. But is it fair to 
to not do that for your kid, right? Is it fair to say right. like you have the opportunity to have a better education for this child, child A, uh, parent B does not have that option. Should child A decline, you know, to have this better education or should they accept? In my opinion, they should accept. Uh, and the reason is, is because uh, if everyone's handed a, a lot in life, some people are extraordinarily underprivileged and that is horrible and we need to solve that. Um, but at the same time, if we can create smarter people every year, like more and more smarter people, I think that's a good thing because they'll end up creating, hopefully, uh, smarter solutions and be smarter in the political realm and, and be more fair, right? Um, hopefully, with that education comes a higher level of fairness. And again, that's not, a, I mean, that's not like something guaranteed, but if, if you have the option to do something uh, really incredible for your kid, like, like give them the education that they'll learn best at, I think as a parent, you're just, you're going to want to do it. Um, well, I, I forget, I forget the source of the quote, but there's a, there's a fairly famous quote that is, uh, you know, the future is here. It's just not evenly distributed yet. And it's one of these kind of techno optimist things of, well, you know, we can create this and then it becomes more commonplace over time. And one of the things I've seen pretty actively in this, in this community is that the, the kind of, you know, the, the cost, the work, the effort, all of these things seem to be coming down over time as you have more of these, you know, community groups coming out as you have it become more normal, as you have more, you know, vendors that are catering to this market. I mean, just in the past year, I've seen, you know, a number of startups that are trying to help people, you know, start community preschools or trying to help people do communities of homeschooling and uh, mm -hmm. trying to help them find good curriculum things for that and all that. So I'm wondering, like, you've been in this for 30 years, you've seen it change from you to your kids. You've also seen it change you know, in the years your kids have been involved with it, what's happening on the, on the kind of democratization of this um, so that it doesn't have to just be, you know, the most privileged that have this ability or the, the people who, uh, you know, live in a low cost of living can, uh, can afford to do it. Yeah. I think we're in like a weird time where the only way to educate has always been public school since the start of this country, right? There, there were private schools, but they were for so few people. It's ridiculous right? Uh, largely everyone, public school. Then comes modern time, uh, you know, within the last hundred years, private schools start to start to become a bigger thing. And the education level there is, could be a bit better because this, the classroom sizes are smaller. But really, if you were to take a look and you were to probably test someone coming from private school, test someone from coming from public school, probably not that far off. Like, we're not talking like astronomical differences here. It's really about the access that private school kid has uh, due to his family's wealth, her family's privilege, you know, whatever it may be. Uh, that's really where the acceleration of their personal well-being comes from, not necessarily from their education. Because even though the public school system in America isn't that great, I mean, people are still, still learning how to get by. But... I think if uh, if you were to look into the future, I don't think the future <laughs> this future school is going to be what it is at all today. So we're in this weird time where, like now, right now, you can you it's easier to self educate, it's easier to homeschool, it's easier to take on that responsibility yourself. You don't have to become an actual teacher and just have your kids at home all day, right? Those times are kind of gone. So now we're in this phase where it's like, well, I could homeschool is kind of getting within reach to more people. Uh, and, and this, this higher, uh, this more accelerated level of education is getting 
within reach more people that now there is this argument of like, is that, is that okay that some people can do this and some people can't? Whereas very soon we'll be in a future where it's way more accessible to way more people, just like public schools became. And that fairness argument will, will kind of, I feel like will kind of go away. There'll always be that form of like private education that's always there for like, you know, the few. Uh, that will be better than what the, you know, the majority have access to. I don't think that'll ever go away in any human history, as long as humans are around. But, um, I think, I think that this, what we're in right now is this weird phase where technology is enabling these connections between people that previously couldn't have existed. And so it's giving more people access to, to homeschool. But at the same time, there's all these other issues with, uh, pay gaps and everything else where not everyone, you know, who's a mother could, you know, take time away to, to, to educate their kids. But I think that as it becomes easier and technology further enables, uh, education to happen outside of public school, I think it will become more accessible. Um, so I think right now what people are trying to hold on to with holding on to public schools and, you know, saying no to charter schools and we just want everyone to be educated the same way in the same building. I think that's like holding on to the past. And I think, if we're in the future looking back, we'll be like, oh, what even was that, right? Um, because now <laughs> we didn't even see this whole thing coming, right? Who saw Uber coming? Who saw, you know, all this other stuff coming? Airbnb. You know, there'll be something in education that comes where uh, this old style of learning will be seen as so suboptimal and so unnecessary that uh, this new stuff, right, that's, it'll be easier to self-educate will be um, the norm. Well, you're, you're the, I mean, so right now you're, you know, the, the head of payments at a big company. Um, you're like certainly not working on this problem day to day. And yeah, but prior to this, you, you've, you know, built a lot of projects. You started a company that was kind of, that you sold to the acquirer, which is how you've gotten your current role. And so you're, you have this kind of, you know, founder background, entrepreneur background. If you wanted to solve this problem as a company or at scale or as a social enterprise or something, how would, how would you, you know, taking your kind of founder hat, how would you go tackle this? What are the big things that are missing? What are the people that are listening to this that that might be builders in that vein, obsessed about this problem? Yeah, you know, what what should they be focused on? What should they be building? Yeah, I think if you look at Khan Academy, they did a fantastic job. And I know kids that their entire education from grade school on has been just Khan Academy, and they've done a really terrific job. But it's it's all self guided, and I think that's part of their model. That's what they want to do, and it's great. But not every parent is capable to say, I'm going to homeschool my kids and I'm going to browse through all these, you know, courses in Khan Academy and try to figure out which one my kids should do, which one's better, blah, 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 right? There needs to be a way to do it and a walk you through it. Um, and there, those things do exist. But uh, kind of the unfortunate thing is most of them are religious-based because uh, really, honestly, homeschooling kind of comes out of that, right? It comes out of this, uh, these religious uh, families that wanted, you know, a way to, to escape the, the, the evils of, of public school. And I think uh, if somebody were to come in and create a, you know, a, a, a guided Netflix of sorts of school, that is one massive thing that would just be gobbled up right away, right? If I could sit my kid down and say, watch this, you know, half hour of math and do this book along with it or this iPad course along with it, or me saying a book, that's <laughs> funny, uh, but do this iPad course along with it, that would be amazing, right? But even that today doesn't really exist in that great of a form. It just flat out doesn't. 
that would be a huge thing. And then on the other side it is, is so that's the education piece. Then the other side is the, is the social connections, right? People right now use Facebook groups to meet up with, with other people and to kind of organize, like, let's go do a nature walk and, and maybe one of us will research kind of the plant life in the area so we can talk to the kids about it. But what if there was something like that, but it was for education and there were guides, right? That I'm the nature walk guide and just go sign up here and, and we go on these walks at this regular time. And, and there's this vendor site where you can go and like see all these homeschool or these, you don't have to call them homeschool. There could be some other word for it, right? These, these uh, self-education, I don't know what, what the term would be, uh, website where you can go find these vendors and sign up super easily, right? Subscribe to them monthly if you want to and, and go on these walks and so your kids can get to know these other kids. Because what you want to do is you want to create like uh, bonds. You want your kids to create bonds with the kids. And that can't happen by going to a new group every time, going to this museum, going to this. You see kids, but you see them once and that's it, right? That's not creating friendships. That's not creating bonds. It's just hanging out with strangers. So I think if, if an entrepreneur would take a look at it who didn't have kids, they would try to create something like, you know, like a, 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 a Tinder or a Friendster or something where you go hang out with your, where you go hang out with strangers, you go meet up with people, right? Well, kids don't want to meet up with people. What they want to do is create friendships, lasting bonds. They want, you want to have families that can come over to your house, that you can go over to their house. They, if, if you're going to, your kids are going to be hanging out together. It's just like in public school, you hang out with the, the, you know, the parents that your kids hang out with, right? Your parents, your kids' friends, their parents become your friends, that sort of thing. That's what you want to emulate. So you don't want this to be this like some like meetup.com thing where it's like, here's meetup.com and here's all the education happening. Go click and go join this group, right? You don't want that. What you want is you want like-minded people and you want people that you could build friendships with as parents and your kids could build friendships with those kids. So it's like a different take on uh, me- meeting up and, and educating, right? So you'd have to have that knowledge and that understanding. You'd have to have been through homeschooling, have been through uh, that sort of stuff to kind of like know that. So yeah, I think that would be another huge piece, that social piece, right? That's a good segue into uh, into some of the kind of common stigmas, right? So maybe I can kind of suggest some of the stigmas I've heard. I'd be curious if there are ones I'm missing. And then you can talk to me about what the reality is and how you solve it. And the most common stigma I hear from my friends who are, uh, you know, who are, frankly usually don't have children, um, uh, kind of in this in this vein, is like, oh, but your kids will be weird, right? They're just going to be alone. They'll never have friends. Like, you know, they won't they won't know how to interact with other children. Yeah, you're gonna you're creating a bunch of maladjusted weird kids. Mm-hmm. So tell me about the uh, the reality behind what's the counter to that stigma and and how do you kind of solve yeah. for that? If someone doing this. Yeah. I mean, I see that sort of stuff as the most ignorant kind of stigma there is because imagine if, 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 we're, if we go back to startups again, imagine if, um, you took advice from people that have never even been an entrepreneur nor took, started a startup and, and, and you let their words have impact on you. Like that would be absolutely silly. Talk about the blind leading the blind, right? So for someone who doesn't have kids to comment on raising kids, is humorous because when you're being raised as a child, you don't know you're being raised. You don't see what your parents are doing, right? Only when you're older, maybe do you realize what they were doing. So honestly, it's, it's funny when, when someone that far out of their, of their playing field, you know, thinks that what they could say would have any weight whatsoever. (laughs) 
because it's just when you actually have kids, you'll realize, oh, I see why everyone says it's funny when people talk about, you know, who don't have kids comment on having kids. I see that now. It's a real actual thing. And if you ever end up having kids, you'll, you'll say the same thing. Oh, I see how I was before I had kids and why what I said didn't matter. (laughs) But so if someone were to comment on my kids being weird or say like, if, if I were to homeschool, I'm afraid my kids would be weird. I would say that's real. (laughs) That's absolutely real. They can be. And here's the best environment for that to happen. Move away from uh, other people move to a small town. Then when you homeschool, don't have any other social interaction uh, with other kids and just, you know, homeschool at home and your kids will be friends with each other. And that's about it. Then you have weird kids. I grew up not a hundred percent that way, but mostly that way. And the other homeschoolers that I knew, cause we would, you know, meet up with other people that were homeschoolers were in my mind, extremely weird, like super weird. And like, it's just humorously weird, like aliens walking on this earth, basically. Uh, just laughably weird. And that's a real thing. But that is not necessarily because of homeschool. That's because of the parents wanting to shelter their kids from the world. And I think even if the kids went to public school, but their parents sheltered them completely outside of that, the kids would still be kind of weird, right? Probably less weird because at least they have interaction with other kids, but it'd still be kind of weird. So, Yes, that is a real thing. But if you don't want that to happen, then don't isolate yourself from humanity. <laughs> and then that will not happen. <laughs> so I think, I think that was pretty solvable. <laughs> yeah, there's good, there's good research on this that shows that I think when people hear homeschool, they don't think, oh, well, you're going to be playing sports or you're going to be going to this charter school or mm-hmm. you're going to have this, you know, this group of seven other families that you go do things with. And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't require eight hours a day, you know, five days a week of social interaction to acclimate to social norms. So I agree with you. I think that's, I think that's quite solvable. And I think it's been proven at this point. Although now you've, you've given me something I just, I like, I have to double click on because I know people are going to be, are going to react strongly to this idea that like, Hey, if you don't have kids, your opinions don't matter. (laughs) Um, And so I'm curious there of like, I mean, certainly people that don't have children can have, you know, informed ideas, be curious about this stuff, you know, have uh, hypotheses. I mean, again, it's the, uh, uh, back to this idea of this being predominantly experimentation based, uh, you know, hypotheses have to come from somewhere. So maybe either double down on what you were saying or, or provide some, some nuance around that. What does it mean to be comical? What does it mean that, you know, folks don't, that, that folks really have no context for this. And frankly, maybe even just to put a positive spin on it, you know, if someone doesn't have kids, uh, how, how can their opinions on this be, helpful. I mean, I, I have to imagine that at some point in your life, a friend of yours that doesn't have kids has said something that, you know, was, was uh, valuable or insightful on the topic. Yes, a hundred percent. And so maybe we could say it in a, in a couple of different ways. So like, if you, if you were to look at a teacher who just came out of, you know, their K through eight education, got their four year degree, and now they're working at a, at a public school or a private school, uh, and they're teaching, you know, say second graders, do they, does their opinion matter on on how kids can be educated or should be educated or if they could be weird or not. Yes, it matters. But if you were to then talk to that person about homeschooling and, and how they should go about homeschooling, would their opinion, opinion matter on education? Yes, it matters. Uh, but when you talk about your kids and will your kids be weird uh, or will your kids uh, not acclimate to social norms or your kids will be dumb if they're homeschooled or something like that. That's, that's something that 
you would have to have your kids first to know that stuff. That's why I say it doesn't really make any sense because until you have kids and you, you, there is such thing as like a, a, a deep connection you can have with your kids. Not everyone will have this with their kids because some people don't even want the kids. And those aren't probably people who are going to be homeschooling their kids or really care about their education or, or at least to the extent where they would want to like talk about it in, at length. Right? So if we narrow the group to the people that do care and again, no judgment, no big deal if you don't care, not at all. Uh, but if we narrow it to the group of people that do care and we say, all right, of all of you, like, who are we going to, uh, who, who's going to come up with the best ideas on how to educate kids? It's going to be the people with kids, right? It's going to, because this whole conversation is around this, this four-letter word, K-I-D-S, right? And if you don't have K-I-D-S, you are just so less experienced and uh, uh, underprepared compared to someone that has a lot of experience with kids. So if you were a teacher who's around kids all day, I think you most definitely should participate in conversations around that because you have a ton of experience with kids. But if you don't have kids and you're not a teacher, when are you ever around kids? Pretty much never. So <laughs> to to comment or or to expect other people with kids to uh, consider your opinion worth valuing or worth taking into consideration. You have no leverage. You know what I mean? Like that's so, what I'm saying. Like with startups, it's like the blind leading the blind. Uh, I, I, until I, you I, have experience with this thing. Oh, uh, well, I, I think you're, I think you're zeroing in on something and I want to, I want to try to, um, I want to try to kind of recast it back to you and see if I'm, if I'm right or if I'm interpreting this wrong. But it, it seems like the thing that you're kind of triggering on is the combination of depth and breadth of experience. And uh, on breadth, being a parent is going to give you, uh, you know, seeing kids in, uh, in uh, seeing a very specific subset of kids, your kids, hundreds of different environments when they're tired, when they're cranky, when they're, you know, energetic, when they're, when they're trying to figure something out, when they're playing, right? Um, and so you're going to have a very broad amount of experience and maybe the depth won't be as, as deep in, in certain areas. If you're a teacher of a second grade class, you're going to have an extraordinarily deep opinion about what it's like to teach in that classroom, you know, 40 kids, what second grade is like, but you may miss some of the breadth. And it's, it doesn't seem like you're reacting negatively to the quality of ideas, but more to the fact that, that there's just a much higher likelihood that people will have quality ideas if they've got some combination of depth and breadth in this experience. Exactly. And I mean, I think, I think if you are uh, a person without kids and you don't work with kids, you have experience with one kid and that's you, right? That's all you know. And until you get to know somebody else, uh, you know, that's a kid. And, and, and if we're talking about education, until you actually educate another kid over a long term, like what, like your opinions on this thing could be so off base. You can have opinions, but it would be like, that's what I'm saying. It would be like if we were going to start a startup and we invite somebody who's been, uh, you know, say a career manager at, let's say a restaurant. And they've never given a thought to starting a company. They've seen other companies start. They work for a company. But if they come in and talk about, here's how we should start this company. It should be a restaurant and it should do this and it should do that. Like, it doesn't really make any sense to in, in really even, if you're going to invite people to talk about how to, how to you know, start the startup, it doesn't really make sense to invite them to the table unless you were going to start a restaurant, right? If you're going to start a tech company on like, uh, let's say a hardware company, why would you invite them to the group to talk about let's how to 
let's see how we should, you know, run this business. Like, why would you do that? No one would do that. And nobody listening would do that. So it just doesn't make any sense. That's why I'm saying like the opinions don't really matter because there's no experience with, with the subject matter whatsoever. Uh, If you have, like I said, I I think where you and I may be, maybe disconnecting on this a little bit is let's take, let's, let's kind of accept your, your thought experiment of, you know, starting a startup being a good analogy for this is, you know, there are examples of people who are, you know, middle manager out of nowhere, they should have no reason to succeed yet for some reason they do. Right. And my, my suspicion here is that that kind of correlates more to, to a filtering mechanism. And I'm, I'm going to try to tie it back to something else and get back to stigma here, which is, I think what it is, is that, uh, as a, actually maybe startup founder is a, a good analogy in this, in this frame. It's one of the things where you can get very deep in, in kind of understanding on it. And it's not surface level, obvious, just a set of logical deductions, right? There's a lot of kind of hidden truth under the surface that may only be unlocked with experience. And so if you're, if you're trying to, you know, kind of figure out how to be successful in this, that the, the kind of experience that while it might be, while you might throw the baby out with the bathwater on, on not listening to somebody smart, generally it's a pretty effective filter. And my suspicion is it goes back to stigma in some way, which is that when you have that as a parent, it probably is somewhat similar uh, as a founder in this vector, there's no shortage of people with opinions. <laughs> you get lots of volunteered opinions. You know, you get the woman who, who harasses you at the park because you're going to hear what they have to say because they believe it. And they think it's important. It's high stress. They're, they think they're helping you, right? And they, they, whether, you know, whether they have experience or not, they, they just may not be very aware of whether their advice is helpful. And so maybe part of the strength of your reaction boils down to this point where there is no shortage of people that want to tell you what to do and, and therefore having a, a, you know, a high pass filter, even if it's not perfect on who you should listen to is worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think like really it's, it's, there are exceptions everywhere. Right. And if someone who has no kids, no interaction with kids wants to become an expert on the subject matter and they go out and they join boys and girls club to, you know, help out kids or, um, they, you know, volunteer at some library to read books to kids and start hanging out with kids that way. And they try to educate themselves around what education is and like how we could solve this. Then you are around kids and you do your opinion matters, but a drive by opinion on like education or on, uh, on, on like child development, I should say, not education, because anyone can have an opinion on education, but on like child development isn't valuable in the sense of actionable value, right? Like we should act on this. Uh, and so that's why I'm saying like, if, if you were to, if you were to, like we were talking about, start a startup around education and child development, it, you, it wouldn't make sense to bring people to the table that don't have that exp- expertise. Just like it wouldn't make sense to bring people to the table that don't have the expertise with developing hard drives, if you're going to build a hard drive company. So if we're talking like super niche focus on, on, on talking about let's solve education and, and build some technology tools around that, you are going to want to have the opinions of people who are experts in that field at the table when it comes time to solve that. People can have opinions about anything. You know, armchair quarterbacks are a perfect example, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean that they are valuable or actionable opinions by any, any stretch of the imagination. So it's the same as with anything. Uh, it's the same as with any sort of, of business. You want the experts, right? You want people who've been there, done that, who have the experience to be making this, the decisions 
on what actually is the best way to go about this. Well, it's that's uh, helpful. I think I've I think I've uh, uh, distilled that down to uh, a framework that at least works for my brain, and that feels like a uh, kind of a, a pretty good place to pause the conversation. Maybe what I what I'd say is like a an interesting thing to end with is maybe two quick questions. One is I'm curious, what are the the kind of biggest stigmas that you get annoyed by personally? And maybe you can give us the kind of quick hits and and yeah, we can dive deeper later. And then I, I've got kind of a wrap up question. I'm curious of uh, an experience or two from from your own time as a homeschool dad. Yeah, so I think for me, the stigma that it is is most troubling with homeschool is people like to put things just like anything else. They like to put things in a box, and so when they hear homeschool, they put you in the same box as like like uh, religious anti vaxxer conservative. Like this is the box that you're placed in. And really all this is about is you wanting to educate your kids in the way that you want to educate them because they're your kids, right? It's not like they're the government's kids and you're just like house-sitting. They're your kids, right? And so it would be fantastic if if that stigma around how I educate my kids and how often I hang out with my kids doesn't have to be in the same box as all the other stuff. So that's, that's definitely one of the ones that is most annoying because it affects a lot of stuff. Like, as I mentioned, that isn't the only time that someone's come up to us at a park um, when it's during school hours. People will, ca- that lady was very overt, but people will casually be like, oh, so, you know, what school does your kid go to, right? And you know right. what they're trying to ask, like, why is your kid here and not in school? And so it, it comes up a lot and it's just unfortunate because you know, when you're looking at them answering their question in their mind, they see you as this, this, this entire box, right? So that is definitely the one that is, uh, is the worst because it's, it's, it's always there. So if you could have, if you could have one wish out of this, it's uh, Hey, when you hear I homeschool, don't, uh, don't paint an identity on that. There are all different types of, you know, religious backgrounds and beliefs, including atheists. Yep. There are all sorts of different political beliefs um, of people that choose to homeschool. Yes. Excellent. Uh, and then maybe as a last one, I'm curious, uh, pick, you know, uh, maybe a project for each of your, each of your children or, or one that stands out in mind. What's like the, the coolest project or experience you've had uh, as a homeschool dad? I'd say for me, for me, seeing the, like, the vision that I had for homeschooling, like, coming to fruition, um, I'd say is, is definitely the highlight. When you're starting out and your kids are young and they're just learning their ABCs and all that kind of stuff, there's not much to it. But when you see your kids at the intelligence level that you were hoping they would be at at the age they're at, and you're like, wow, that's, that's awesome. Like, you know, we did that. We made that happen because we could have taken them out of normal school and then they got dumber, <laughs> you know? So like seeing that it is, is super cool. And then seeing them excited about homeschool, like our kids love it. Like they absolutely love it. And that's super cool. That's another part of like kind of seeing our vision of like what homeschool could be come to fruition. And, and another one for me is the social aspect. Like growing up, I had one friend. And then when I was a little older, I had two friends Like because we were in a small town and I was homeschooled. So my kids are hanging out with kids almost every single day. And uh, they've got a crew of like 10 different families that we hang out with all the time. 
we are way more social than than my f- parents were and family were. So that's part of it too. But it is so cool because our kids have grown up together, and you know, people get that in public school as well, uh, in other schools as well. But it's I don't know. I didn't have that when I was when I was uh, growing up and in my homeschool experience. So being able to homeschool and also still have that piece that I think is, you know, more normal for people to have those families that they're always hanging out with, I think is, is another cool thing to see. Very cool. Very cool. Well, I've, uh, I've been uh, obsessed about this topic for a little while and I feel like I've learned a lot just in this discussion. So thank you for taking the time and uh, hopefully people that have spent the last, you know, 90 plus minutes listening to this, uh, if nothing else have learned that uh, not all homeschoolers are uh, right-wing anti-vaxxer end-of-the-world prepper types. Uh, <laughs> and I've got a friend of mine who's who's trying to kind of share the same, you know, dispelling of misinformation around uh, around uh, preparing and being prepared. So uh, he'll be mad that I mm-hmm. that I use that as a reference. But the uh, but this is super helpful. So I appreciate you taking the time. We didn't get a chance to dive maybe as deep into you know some of the curriculum or options or startups in the space. Uh, certainly, I've you know I've spent a lot of time in my mind designing. You know what is what does that look like uh, for my eventual children? So maybe we'll have to do a uh, uh, another uh, another version of that uh, maybe after I have kids, so that uh, so that my opinion matters. <laughs> Your opinion will matter even if you don't have kids. I think I, th- I think if you if you're doing what you're doing and you're educating yourself and you spend time with kids, I think again your opinion matters. And I I hope that other people will consider like education as a space to hop into, yeah. like. There are so many homeschoolers that I know that if there was some quality education that was more guided, they'd be all about that and they'd be handing you their credit cards. Yeah. So it's a pretty cool space to hop into. Yeah. I've, I've seen a lot of really cool companies get started here. And I actually, I went deep on the kind of opinion mattering thing because I, I, I think that's an interesting part of the debate. And I've actually, I've seen the the point you're pushing back on actively. I actually a super funny discussion that I got to sit down between a conservative family who was homeschooling and a liberal couple who did not have children yet homeschool who were who were deriding homeschooling without knowing that the other family homeschooled and the discussion was just absolutely hilarious and fascinating um, and I think ended up with, with both folks kind of understanding each other a little bit better but it was it was cool to see the stigma dispel all at once and some of the realization of oh I haven't really fully thought this through yet kind of crop it. So yeah. uh, I, I hope that more folks think about it, more folks uh, develop opinions on it, more more folks really get into the deeper you know, reading and experimentation and watching because it's it's the only way. It's the only way to get better at it. Uh, so man, I, I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, thanks for, for taking you know two hours out of a Saturday. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm super stoked to talk about this topic and anytime you want to do it again, let's do it. Sounds great. <laughs>